Welcome to the first edition of Knuckleball Radio. I'm Cody Lefko. It's alongside me, my partner in crime, Brandon Gilden, and we're going to be talking baseball every week from here on out, year-round, whether it's off-season or during-season, you will hear this. So, Brandon, it's our first episode. I'm excited. How excited are you? Dude, I am pumped. This show is going to be the best one out there. All positive vibes coming from me right now. Alright, so let's just get into it. Our first segment leading off. We're going to recap the All-Star game this week. And Brandon, i got to ask you, it was entertaining both on the field and off the field. So let's start on the field. What did you see? Who did you see that really caught your eye? Honestly, who caught my eye the most was probably Kenley Jansen being able to skate that ninth inning with a man on second and no outs. I don't know how he was able to do it. This is an all-star caliber roster he was facing, and he was able to strand that second man on third base. There was a competitive vibe for the entire... There was a competitive vibe for an exhibition game. It just made it feel like it was worth watching. And I think that that's the thing, and you know, Bryce Harper talked about it during his on-field interview, is it's an exhibition game, but these guys are all competitors. You know, none of them are taking this game off. None of them are seeing it as, oh, I can sort of relax and I don't have to do anything. And, you know, it, it really showed, and for me it was Max Scherzer. It showed when Max Scherzer was pitching in that very first inning. I mean, he was gunning it. He was putting everything he had into it. He sounded like Serena Williams during a tennis match. You know, the grunts were there. He was whipping that ball as fast as he could, throwing his best stuff. He wasn't leaving anything behind everything was out there and obviously everybody wanted to see that Max Scherzer versus uh, Aaron Judge matchup and obviously Scherzer with the better of it just fooling Aaron Judge getting him to strike out and I think for me that was so entertaining on the field to actually show that these guys want to be there and that they want to do it. Do you still think that they showed the same amount of effort as they would if the home field advantage was on the line like it used to be? See, I was never a big fan of home field advantage taking it because it's an exhibition game, and it should be an exhibition game. It shouldn't have any impact on the season. Switch off every year, American League and National League. You know, it it can hurt a team. It can help a team, obviously, but, you know, if you're the best team in the league, I mean, you can look at last year, the Cubs' best team in the league. They ran the table almost the whole season. They had to be the away team in the playoffs. It should be the team with the better record coming into the World Series that does it. The All-Star game should have no impact, and I think the guys sort of saw it that way as well. You know, I really couldn't agree more, but when we look at the game also, it was also entertaining off-field. What did you think was the most entertaining off-field event that happened? I think it has to be Nelson Cruz, and what people forget in a game like this is that these guys are regular people. They're athletes, of course. They're models. They're, you know, everything that you want to look up to. But at the same time, they're regular people. They come out to Miami. They want to have a ball. They want to play around. They want to see their friends. And so that's what happened. And for me, it was Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz was so entertaining to watch, just walk around the field, do what he does. I mean, when he goes up to plate for an at-bat and he turns to Yadier Molina and says, hey, take a picture of me and Joe West. And I have my own opinions on Joe West, as does everybody else. But he turns around and says, take a picture of me and Joe West before my at-bat and you know, gets a picture from Yadier Molina on his phone. I mean, you could never imagine that. They allowed phones in the dugout. People were tweeting. They were taking pictures. You know, and then Nelson Cruz gets, uh, he gets a 
interview later in the game in the dugout and all the guys are coming up and playing around. It turned into almost a group interview and that's because of Nelson's personality. And I got to tell you though, the least entertaining thing I saw on or off the field, Yadier Molina's uh, catcher's gear. It was horrendous. That all gold. I just don't know what he was thinking. When I saw that, I really thought that Yadier Molina was a golden teapot. It was the ugliest thing I've ever seen. Salvador Perez was able to pull it off because at least the Royals have gold in their uniform. But last time I checked, the Cardinals don't have gold in their logo whatsoever. Am I right? It's 100% right. I don't know why he did it. I mean, obviously a very good defender who deserves a gold glove, but gold gear, not so sure. What was also exciting about the All-Star game was the on-field interviews with not only Bryce Harper, but George Springer. They just seemed like they were completely relaxed, but at the same time when the ball was in play, you'd see their focus just zone out from the broadcasters and straight into baseball. And it's funny to listen to that because the guys are trying to respond, and then as they see a pitch being thrown, they kind of trail off, but they have to try and keep the conversation going as well as, as, well as trying to... Uh, trying to watch the pitch and get into position. So it's good. I don't think you could do that with infielders or a catcher or a pitcher, but an outfielder is a perfect guy to do it with. Um, but looking at looking at the All-Star game now, I mean, obviously a 2-1 to one affair in which the American League won uh, in the last inning. Is pitching more valuable? I mean, you look at it, there were 23 strikeouts in the game and two home runs, and it ends up a 2-1 to one game. Yeah, but keep in mind, these are the best pitchers in baseball. When you don't look at the All-Stars, pitching really doesn't mean much. Baseball is turning into a sport where runs need to be scored in order to win games. You're not seeing many 1-0 shutouts, 2-1 games. You're seeing a bunch of blowouts now. It's the best pitchers in baseball, but it's also the best hitters in baseball. So how come the hitters weren't getting better of the pitchers? Don't get me wrong. You do need pitchers to keep doing games, but you need hitters to win those close affairs. The Mets last year and the year before that had all the pitching in the world. How'd that work out for them? Well, most of them got injured. Unfortunately, most pitchers are going to endure a big injury. It's pretty much unpreventable. The Los Angeles Dodgers tried preventing Julio Urias from sustaining a big injury. Well, that didn't work out so well. He had shoulder surgery a couple months ago, and he's going to miss the rest of this year and most of next season as well. Yeah, but you can look at it the other way. I mean, I use... Obviously, being from Chicago, the Cubs are on my mind at almost all times, but you know you can use them from last season. Their ERA was 64 points better than any other team in the league, including two Cy Young Award candidates, arguably the best closer in the game in Araldis Chapman the second half of the season. And then you have pitchers like Mike Montgomery and Travis Wood who are having fantastic seasons in long relief and really can go at any point for you, and you can see the difference I mean, look at Montgomery this year, uh, having to fill in as a starter, just not doing as well. Look at the pitchers. They have the biggest increase in ERA between last season and this season, and it's just not working in their favor. They're playing awfully, and obviously, you know, since coming back from the All-Star break, yeah, the hitting is broken out, and they have two victories, but it's a 9-8 win. You don't want that. You know, yesterday, a 10-3 win, that's more so what you want, obviously, the runs are there but you don't need as many runs as if your pitchers are there it's gonna come you know especially come playoff time it's all pitching because you get to the bullpen quickly so if you have the starting pitching to take you deep it can save your bullpen a little bit because you're playing a lot of games in in very short amount of days and it'll save those guys the hitting will come 
And you can see that in Colorado even is if they get the pitching, they're going to be there. Yeah, but then you look at a team like Houston where you could say, you can arguably say that if they had a, a team full of SP5s, they'd still be a dominant team because they're scoring 10 runs a game, 12 runs a game, 8 runs a game. I'm not so sure if they would be dominating the way that they do. Dallas Keuchel, you know, the best pitcher in the American League probably at this point, and obviously he's been injured for quite some time, but yeah, the hitting helps, but you still need the pitching. If you're going to win your games 9-8, to eight, there are going to be days where your hitters go into a slump. It's the pitchers who have to be consistent if you want to take your team deep. We can always continue this on another day. I say we move on to recapping the first half of baseball. What do you say? Yeah, that works for me. Um, and you know, some of the points we talked about, obviously, what teams do we feel are underrated and overrated? The most underrated team in the league, and this hurts me to say, the Milwaukee Brewers. They're in first place in the, you know, quote-unquote amazing NL Central that had three teams make the playoffs two years ago with none of them being the Brewers. Remember, it was the Pirates, the Cardinals, and the Cubs that all made it. But the Brewers are just taking it on. The reigning champion Chicago Cubs are still dominant without many changes. They're just not playing as well. And the Brewers, a five-and-a-half game lead in the Central come the All-Star break, their largest lead at the All-Star break in franchise history, and yet nobody's talking about them. You know, they had one guy go to the All-Star game and Corey Knebel, and yet they're a first-place team that's just not getting it. That's a good team, I'm not going to lie. But did you ever think the Tampa Bay Rays would still be in contention come the All-Star break? Everyone thought they'd be big sellers. But when we look at that team, Logan Morrison is resurging. He already has 25 home runs, beating his career best. Corey Dickerson has an on-base plus slugging percentage over 900 while batting 312. Steven Souza has an additional 18 homers and 57 RBIs. Throw in another 53 ribbies from Evan Longoria. Race catchers this season as a whole are on pace to drive in 100 runs and hit 29 homers. Keep this in mind. They're doing this without their defensive cornerstone, Kevin Kiermeyer, and big offseason acquisition, Colby Rasmus, who actually took the year off for some personal reasons. If they can fix their bullpen issues by giving up some few prospects in their loaded farm, this team has a chance to actually win the AL East. It's tough. The AL East possibly the the hardest division right now to really move around and it's five teams deep and the Rays are a team that could do it but you know it on the other side of this coin obviously they're always going to be an underrated team there's also going to be an overrated team and you know who do you feel is the most overrated team in the league right now such an easy question you got to go with the Minnesota Twins their starting rotation is shaky outside of Irvin Santana and young young up-and-comer Jose Barrios Aldoberto Mejia has an ERA nearing 5. Phil Hughes is nearing a 6 ERA. Kyle Gibson has over a 6 earned run average. Those three are all starters on this team. The team is over 500, but their run differential is minus 60. They don't strike out hitters, ranking last in the league. Their walks, hits, and innings pitched is 27th. Their offense is 25th in slugging percentage. This team isn't built to win this year, but they do have the pieces with Miguel Sano, Max Kepler, Byron Buxton, and company. But some of their hitters just aren't meeting expectations. Jorge Polanco has a solid glove, but he's only hitting 222. Brian Dozier's taking a big regression after his offensive explosion last year. 
Didn't he have like 40 homers last season? Brian Dozier was in the top five in home runs last season. He was amazing. And all of a sudden, he's doing nothing this year. Byron Buxton, granted, he's not playing well. He's still only 23 and has, and at one point, he was the number one prospect in all of baseball. You can't just discount him. He's going to come. We just don't know when the spark is going to finally light. He hasn't played the best baseball yet, but just give him time. And that's a team, and you mentioned it, that's been carried by their pitching through the first half of the season. And while I agree with you, they are probably the most overrated team. I'm just going to throw another team out here. And, you know, you and other fans may say that how crazy I am for this one. But honestly, the Washington Nationals, to me, are one of the most overrated teams in the league. Are they going to win the NL East? 100%. But look at the NL East. They're the only team over 500 in the whole division. Who who are they going to compete with? The Mets, who can't hit a home run, who can't score a run. The Atlanta Braves, who are just all over the board and are going to be selling Julio Tehran in a couple of years. Like, it's, it's awful. It's the worst division in baseball. And the Nationals are just the most overrated team. They're only nine and a half games up on Atlanta, being the only team over 500. Their top three pitchers, Max Scherzer, Steve... Uh, Strasburg and Geo are without a doubt probably one of the best one, two, three punches in the league. But they're pretty suspect after that, and they traded away guys who were going to be their four and five pitchers in Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez for a defected Adam Eaton, who was overrated to begin with and then goes on the DL for the whole season. He's injury prone, he was never very good, and they go out and they sell the farm almost for Adam Eaton. And now you see it, Joe Ross is on the DL, Tanner Rourke, who was good and is now their fourth guy, with his amazing 527 ERA. That's your number four guy. That is horrendous, in my opinion. And then you look at their bullpen. It's horrific. I mean, unless they improve their bullpen immensely at the deadline and get themselves a decent fourth pitcher, they're not going to go far. They're going to go one and done in the playoffs for the upteenth season in a row. They are just not the team that everybody thinks that they are. So when we're looking at teams, we're looking at the leaders from each division. We're looking for 2011 Magic when the St. Louis Cardinals beat the odds and made the playoffs, when the Tampa Bay Rays beat the odds and made the playoffs, both in game 162 of the season. Do you think there's going to be a team like that this year that comes out of nowhere and makes the playoffs who currently is not in it? I don't really know if there's a team that's going to come out of nowhere. I think that it's pretty set. Um, the only thing that you could think of is, or the only thing that I could think of, I guess, is the NL West. You know, the East is pretty set. The, you know, AL West is pretty set. You know, and you could even say the NL, or the AL West is set. The NL West may be set with the Dodgers, but they have two guys nipping at their heels in the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Colorado Rockies. And those are very good teams. But really, there are three divisions that I can see really being shook up from now until the end of the season. You know, the AL East, it's anybody's game. Red Sox are in first right now, but they don't have a team of superstars. You know, they have a team of very good players, and they can go far, but I don't think that they have the superstars that they need to get there. The Yankees started the season hot, have cooled off recently, but Starlin Castro has been injured for quite some time. He's going to be back. You know, the seventh youngest player to hit a 1,000 career hits, it means something when he steps onto the field and they were missing him for a good portion of the season. You know, they're going to increase their bullpen, improve their bullpen. Obviously, Brad Hand's name has been thrown out there to help in the bullpen of Dellen Patances and Araldis Chapman, and 
you know, that's the best one, two, three punch at the end of a bullpen that you could see. You know, then you keep going. The Rays could end up selling and just falling off a cliff into oblivion. So who knows what they're going to do, but they should be buyers. You know, the Blue Jays, obviously a very capable team anchored by Donaldson Smoke and Russell Martin. And then you have the Baltimore Orioles, where their pitching is just not that good. Their hitting has been underperforming. But if they can figure it out and get one good pitcher, they may be back in the hunt. Now let's take a look at the AL Central. That one can move around a little bit too. The Twins, I say, will fall and stay in third place, while the Indians and the Royals will battle it out for the division and the second wild card spot. The first wild card spot will probably go to the AL East. But you can never count out the Tigers as they have the firepower and the manpower that should take them further. I mean, you look at it, obviously it's an aging team, but you still have J.D. Martinez, Miguel Cabrera, guys of that caliber, and then the guy who should have won the AL Cy Young last year, Justin Verlander. Yes, an aging ball club can hurt them the long 162-game season, but I think they're going to be able to turn it around and at least compete for a higher position. And then the last division we've already talked about, it's the NL Central. Three teams will battle it out for the division. The only playoff spot coming from the Central, though, will be the division leader. But ultimately, I believe that the Brewers' odd mix of rookies and veterans past their prime and the starting rotation will help them fail as the Cubs will win the division by only a couple of games late in the season. Obviously, Obviously like, like I talked talk about, there are going to be shakeups throughout, throughout the league. league. Who, Who do you see? What, what division do you see really getting shook up, up and things possibly changing? Honestly, before I answer that question, I want to go back on what you were saying with the New York Yankees and Starling Castro. I really do think that his presence is going to help out that offense once more. But keep in mind, they just lost Michael Pineda for the year and all of next year. That's a huge loss for this team. I don't know how they're going to be able to stay in this competitive AL East without making an acquisition now. What kind of like starting pitcher do you think would be a good signing for the Yankees? It's, it's hard, hard to really say because obviously you look at the guys, guys who are going to be out of the market. market. You know, you know there's, there's Sonny Gray. I don't know if he's going to be able to fill that role because he's, he's had, had a couple of down years, years but he's, he's not, not a number three pitcher. pitcher. You, know, you know, he may be a number two at this point. He used to be an ace. Chris Archer is an ace. You put him in a number three spot, he may have you know some attitude towards it. So it's really Really, really tough, tough to say right now what pitcher it may be that goes that way. way. Especially Chris Archer being in the AL East probably won't be traded you know, to an enemy of the state. So you, you can't really tell right now, but obviously Yankees will be searching for a starting pitcher as well. Now going back to what, who I think will change based on league leaders, I don't think the NL Central is going to stay the same. I'm going to be boring. Milwaukee is not going to be a first place team come season's end. But this is where I get exciting. I like the Pittsburgh Pirates this year. I don't know. It's something about them. Uh, Starling Marte is coming back very soon. Andrew McCutcheon's had a huge bounce back season this year. Josh Bell slowly turning into a quality first baseman in just his rookie campaign. He actually just hit the walk-off home run the other night against St. Louis. Josh Harrison, he's a versatile all-star. And let's not forget Gregory Polanco is quietly having an above-average season. When you have McCutcheon, Polanco, and Marte all in the lineup, that's debatably the best outfield in baseball. If they can trade for some starting rotation help, I really do think this team can win the NL. If they can trade for some starting rotation help, I really think this team can win the NL Central. 
They're only seven games out of first place. It's a strong possibility as long as they don't trade Garrett Cole. Jamison Tyon is a solid SP2, and I would love to have Yvonne Nova as my starting pitching three. He doesn't strike people out, but regardless, his ERA is like, it's like 3.20. That's solid for an SP3. I think that they need to acquire another another starting pitcher, but I don't think they need to go after a strong ace or someone like that. I think they'd work out really well with acquiring a Clayton Richard or a Julius Chassin. They don't need a top of the rotation guy. They just need guys who will eat innings to help save their bullpen come September and October. But the real question for them is going to be if you're still in the place that you are come, you know, the end of the month, come a week before the trade deadline, the week of the trade deadline, the day of the deadline. Are you going to be thinking that or are you going to be thinking I need to get the most for my money and trade Garrett Cole away? Well, it's not like Garrett Cole is going to be a free agent at season's end. They'll definitely field offers for him, but they're not going to sell low on this guy because they know that the upside is massive. We'll see. And, I mean, obviously Garrett Cole, a fantastic pitcher. Obviously, you you said you like Tylon and Nova. And, you know, you mentioned it. It's 3.2 ERA. And, you know, he may be somebody who's a little bit underrated on the season when you look at it. But, you know, there are a bunch of really underrated players throughout the uh, throughout the whole league, throughout the course of the season. Who was your underrated player for the first half so far? Well, we actually haven't talked about the NL West that much, and I don't know why we haven't done that. They have Right now, they have three playoff teams, and the one that no one's really talking about is the Arizona Diamondbacks. My underrated player comes from them, and it's Robbie Ray. He's having a huge season for them, and like they probably would not be in the wildcard spot today without him. He has 141 strikeouts and just 106 innings pitched. His ERA is under 3.0. No one's talking about Robbie Ray. He didn't make the all-star team. I think he was a huge snub. You know, you were talking about your snub being Robbie Ray. I think that my snub has to be Travis Shaw. You know, playing for the Brewers, traded for him in the offseason from the Boston Red Sox. And, I mean, if you look at Travis Shaw throughout the course of the season, he's been the best offensive player You know, Eric Thames obviously carried the team through the first month of the season with the hottest start amongst any player. But since then, it's been Travis Shaw, definitely the most consistent guy. A batting average of .296 and 65 RBIs leads the Brewers in both of those categories. He's second on the team, only behind Thames, with 19 homers. And then 31 walks puts him third on the team as well, so he gets on base a ton. You know, and then he can steal a base. A perfect 7-for-7 this season when trying to swipe a bag. And, you know, I talked about him getting on base. Look at his slugging at 14th in the entire league. And then he ranks 18th in OPS in all of Major League Baseball. And the greatest thing about it, how does he not make the All-Star team? It is the absolute biggest snub. He wasn't even on the final five ballot to compete with those other guys who were having, you know, some of them lackluster seasons. And you have Travis Shaw, who's having himself a great season. You know, you look at the All-Star team for the National League, and it's tough to really kick some people out because of the fact that every team needs its representative. But, I mean, you can look at it, and the best guy that he could have replaced would have been Jake Lamb. Because Jake Lamb had virtually the same exact stats. The only difference is that Travis Shaw hit 20 points better throughout the first half of the season. You know, when you look at this Milwaukee Brewers team, most of these players are underrated. I can name a few right now. I can think of Orlando Arcia, 
Jimmy Nelson, Keon Broxton, Eric Sogard, Domingo Santana, Corey Knabel. There are so many players that go unspoken about, but are big reasons why this team is actually where they are right now. And I mean, some of those guys that you mentioned, obviously, you know, fantastic players. Um, you know, Keon Broxton, we all knew he was going to have a, a great year. Domingo Santana, like you said, has just broken out and you look at that whole team, there's no overrated player. Even Ryan Braun, nobody talks about anymore. But, you know, then you could look at possibly some overrated players. And for me, you know, you go out west. You talked about, you know, we don't really go out west. You would west, you would Robbie Ray as your underrated player. My overrated player will come from the west, but it'll be the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think Jock Peterson, without a doubt, is the most overrated player in the league. I mean, he was sixth in the Rookie of the Year voting uh, his first year a couple of years ago, but really he doesn't have great stats. You know, he's hit a ton of homers the past three seasons, but his average has never been over 250. His highest average was at 240 last season. You know, his RBI totals as well is horrendous, and this is a guy who has hit in the middle of the lineup for the team, obviously moved down a little bit now, but, I mean, he had 54 RBIs his rookie season to go along with 26 homers and a 210 batting average Yet he was sixth in the rookie of the year. Those stats are are awful. Last season, a 246 average was his highest with 25 homers, but only 68 RBIs. And this was a guy that they were trying to pretty much build the team around. I mean, obviously you have Corey Seager last year as well and Justin Turner, who are fantastic. But this is a guy who's still going to hit sixth behind those guys in the lineup. And throughout the course of his career, only 11 stolen bases on 24 attempts. You know, that's left him less than 50%, and he's a center fielder. He should have some speed. He should have a sound mind, and he's a decent fielder, but really just an utter disappointment over the first three years of his career, and yet people praise him and talk about how amazing he really is. I really don't think this team is built around Jock Peterson. They're really focused on Justin Turner and Corey Seager. With Jock Peterson, it's more of just the eye test. I have the privilege of being able to watch the Dodgers every day, I can say Jock Peterson's one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball. His eye is phenomenal. His on-base percentage is nearing 370. So he does get on base, which is what you want from a guy who's hitting 6th or 7th in your lineup on a constant basis. It's not like they're relying on him to bring in the runs. That's where Justin Turner and Cody Bellinger come in. Jock Peterson's job is really just, just to take care of center field. He wants to make sure no balls gets down on the ground. And really... I've seen Jock Peterson make countless web gem plays. I don't know. He's he's good, but I think he's still overrated. You know, and it's it's kind of the Jason Hayward factor. You know, last year everybody was mad about Jason Hayward, but his value came from defense. You could say that Jock's value came from defense, but look over the past three years, he was hitting, you know, in that five spot, in that six spot. He was in the middle of the lineup behind those guys who were getting on base consistently. And his stats just weren't comparable to guys at his caliber, that people are praising at his caliber. I'm going to shake things up a little bit, and I'm going to move to the AL Central for my overrated player. Everyone thinks of Miguel Cabrera as such a strong presence in your lineup, but this year, he's been everything but that. Miguel Cabrera, Miguel Cabrera only has 11 home runs, and he's hitting 260. This is a guy that was once almost a... Hold on, hold on. Restart, okay. My overrated player actually comes from the AL Central. I do not like Miguel Cabrera this year. 
I think he's a giant bust, especially with that eight-year, $248 million contract he'd recently signed. They're expecting Miguel Cabrera to, to hit 320. They're expecting him to hit 30 to 40 home runs in a season. And so far this year, he has 11 home runs. He's batting 260. He's locked in for another five or six years, and this could end up being one of the worst contracts ever. He's already 34, so his room to improve is very, very small. I see regression happening year in and year out. Miguel Cabrera is my overrated player. And you could say that for this year, but you have to remember, I mean, even at his age, look at look at Big Poppy though. Big Poppy was in his final year last year, he was a little bit older, you know, and he had probably one of his best seasons, you know, up to that point. He was outstanding and I mean, Miguel Cabrera, it's hard to really pass him off 5 years ago a triple crown winner, you know, two MVP awards back-to-back years, you know, a silver slugger almost every season that he's played. He's a very good player and well, it's a down year this year. I mean, the regression is, it's not as big as what, you know, it's a big regression, but it's still not bad. I mean, look at last year. He had 316 with 38 homers and 108 RBIs. This year, it may not be clicking as well, but you know that he still has the stuff to bring it back. I really feel like Miguel Cabrera has some type of lingering issue. I'm sorry. I really feel like Miguel Cabrera has some type of lingering injury that no one's talking about. And I feel like a move to the DH is what he needs at this age. If they move him to the DH, yeah, he can be like David Ortiz and start hitting 40 home runs again. But he, when he's playing on the field and batting, I just don't feel like it's what works best for the team now. I think that is that is a very valid point. You know, Move him to the DH, let him hit a little bit more, and just focus on hitting at that age. You know, His fielding is going to go a little bit, but... Just get the hitting back. Get back to that triple crown winner that we all know. You know, now that we're actually on the Detroit Tigers, I want to mention that I recently saw some articles saying that they're close to moving Justin Verlander and that the Arizona Diamondbacks are really wanting the trade for J.D. Martinez. This team could end up being sellers, and it wouldn't be a surprise. And if they did end up giving J.D. Martinez to Arizona, Arizona could, could win that NL West. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Um, right now though, power rankings actually, you know, let's go through, we talked about who we think our top five, you know, in the league right now are, and, you know, I'll, I'll start this off. We have some of the same mine. I think the Dodgers are the top team. Um, it's a very tough one between them and the Astros, but I feel the Dodgers just have been hotter the last couple of games. Astros are blowing people out, but you know, the offense won't be there every game. That one will end up falling. The Dodgers, however, are a very solid and well-rounded team. I have the Astros at number two, though. I still think that they are going to be the World Series champions. But as of right now, I feel that they are just the number two team behind those Dodgers. And then we talked about the Diamondbacks. And especially if they trade for J.D. Martinez, they'll be up there. But the Diamondbacks, I have them at number three. They are hot. They are good. They are young. It is a fantastic team still led by the veteran of Paul Goldschmidt. And then obviously, you know, Jake Lamb, another all-star. Both of them all-stars this year. Fantastic. Milwaukee Brewers, I have them slotted at the number four place. Uh, Underrated team. I mean, nobody's looking at them. Nobody's talking about them. They're, in the last 10 games, one of the best in the league. And at the same time, I mean, their young pitching is it. It's there, and their hitting is just consistent enough to get them through but right now, there is no team 
that they can really lose to, it seems, throughout the NL outside of the Dodgers and Diamondbacks. And then you have the Nationals, my overrated team. They're going to slide in at number five still. Uh, you know, I talked about it, the one, two, three punch, outstanding. They have about five guys on that team that are really good, but they lack the depth after that. You know, it's it's just a tough thing, but the Nationals sliding in there at the number five spot. My, uh, my power rankings are very similar to yours. I have my number one and number two swapped from yours. I have the Astros at one and the Dodgers at two. I just feel like the, the fact that the Astros are doing this and they're finally getting back some starting pitching help. They, they just got back Charlie Morton. They're about to get back Dallas Keuchel. This team still has like room to improve. And their farm system is still stacked. They can call up anyone and they can pretty much make an instant impact. They have a ton of players with an on-base plus slugging percentage over the league average. You have Jake Marisnik who's hitting over the league average. You have George Springer, Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa. And then you have veteran presence like Evan Gaddis, Brian McCann. You have Carlos Beltran. I just feel like they have the perfect mix of veterans to youngsters where this team can have some magic and do well in the playoffs. And then at number two, I have the Dodgers. Quite frankly, the same reasons you had them at number one, I have them at number two. And then at number three, I have the Diamondbacks. Number four, I put the Nationals there. They would be at number two, but that bullpen has cost them so many games that if they don't fix that, there's no chance they can win the World Series. I like their starting pitching, but bullpen, bullpen help is needed in the World Series. Kansas City started the trend, and it seems to be continuing where bullpen help is the most valuable. And then at number five, I'm going to put the Boston Red Sox. This team does have a solidified ace in Chris Sale. They had a one-time ace in David Price, who I still have faith in. He just needs to find his control again. And then they had the Cy Young winner from last year in Rick Porcello. This team has the pitching needed to go far. It just hasn't clicked yet. And then when you look at their offense, the one thing they're lacking is home run power. And if they can trade for maybe a Manny Machado or a Todd Frazier, this, it will skyrocket this team. They already have a strong presence in Xander Bogarts, Mookie Betts, and company. I just think the Boston Red Sox are slightly underrated right now. They should be better than what they are. I think competition drives excellence out there in the AL East. We talked about it. It's a five-team division. You know, there is nobody that you can really count out right now. And, you know, the Red Sox are taking advantage of it. But I think with that whole division, it's really hard to say that one team is so good and so much better than the other teams. That's that's the only reason I had the Red Sox outside of mine. Um, and obviously, I mean, with those five power rankings... There are going to be predictions for the World Series. I already said it. I think the Astros are going to be able to take it. What's your take on the playoffs? You know, for the playoffs, I'm going to have the Los Angeles Dodgers beating the Boston Red Sox in a World Series classic, LA versus Boston. Can the Astros win close games when it matters most? That's a huge question because they seem to be blowing everyone out. When it comes October baseball, teams strategize differently. And as much as I like this Astros team, I don't feel like they're suited to win close games. It really worries me. They're, they're a young team. Um, they're a young Astros team, keep in mind. Are they mentally ready? Will their starting pitching be healthy? Lance McCullers has never pitched more than 125 innings in a season. Dallas Keuchel, granted he's coming back, is he going to get injured again? Hopefully not, but we never know. With Boston and L.A., at least both teams have a true ace with legitimate bullpens. 
see, I feel that the Astros are going to be able to do it. I mean, you don't think they can close in games, but you look at the back end of what they have right now, and I mean, even just looking at Luke Gregerson and Ken Giles alone is a fantastic end of your bullpen that's going to be able to take you a little bit deeper than, you know, what most people may think. You look at it, Keuchel, if he was healthy the whole year and if he comes back and he stays healthy, the AL Cy Young Award winner without a doubt. Lance McCullers, if he's able to stay healthy, can be there as a dominant number two. And Colin McHugh, a very solid number three. Obviously, numbers don't look at it, but if you look at what he has, I mean, his stuff is just plain dirty. He's good. You know, and you have the Dodgers in the uh, National League. I don't think I could see the Dodgers doing it. You know, you look over at their starting pitchers in the playoffs, and, you know, I tried to click on Clayton Kershaw's stats, and it, it sort of told me, it was like, you sure? Like, these aren't very good. And I was like, yeah, let me see them anyways. And you know what? The warning was right. They're awful. Clayton Kershaw is not a postseason pitcher. When the big time comes, he can't do it. And, you know, he may go down as the greatest regular season pitcher, one of the greatest regular season pitchers in history. But when it comes to the playoff, just not able to get the job done. And that's where the Dodgers are going to falter is their pitching is just not going to be able to hold up come playoff time. Um, I do have, however, the Astros going up against, and, you know, this may be me being a little bit of a homer from Chicago, but going up against the Cubs. I think that it's going to be a battle of the young stars that's going to be able to get out there and they're going to be able to, you know, turn this season around, get back, beat out the Brewers for the NL Central, and really have it going. And when you look at the team, obviously we all know they have the talent. And then now they have the postseason experience. Every single one of these guys pretty much has been on the postseason team, was on this team last year, and helped to carry the team through. You know, there wasn't one star throughout the playoffs last year. Everybody contributed at their own time. You know, whether it's your rookies, whether it's your veterans, everybody came through. And the tough thing for them this year was the pitching. Obviously, they've already started to do that. They went out. They traded for Jose Quintana. He's going to get the start here today against the Baltimore Orioles. And I think Quintana's been an excellent you know, addition to the piece. And you look at it now, you have five guys who at once in their career are, could be, or would have been aces. You know, Kyle Hendricks is the only guy where you say, well, he's not an ace. But you know what? He's still only in his first couple of years. He's got a long way to go. And he was the National League ERA leader last season. And the rumors are, Cubs are still looking for another arm. They're still looking for another guy. You know, Sonny Gray, Garrett Cole, Chris Archer. Those are three names, three names that have been thrown out there. And I mean, what do you do? You can go with a six-man rotation, give your guys a little bit more rest. You know, those guys who are struggling on the season are going to get a little bit more time. The Cubs are going to be able to push it into the playoffs, move some of these arms into the bullpen like they did with John Lackey last year, and it's just going to be outstanding for the Chicago Cubs come playoff time. They're going to turn it around, and they're going to be amazing. So when we're looking at the playoffs, obviously there's going to be buyers and sellers. Sellers help out the playoff teams, the buyers take from the sellers. Who do you think is going to be a surprise buyer come the trade deadline? A surprise buyer? I mean, it's really tough to go out there and say, but I think the Rays. I think the Rays are going to buy. I, You know, they're in second place right now in that AL East. Um, obviously, Chris Archer's name has been thrown out there. You know, they want to trade him away, get some money back for him. But we keep saying it. The AL East is a division that's five deep. They're going to keep going. You know, they're not out of it. Their offense is powering the team. But Chris Archer is a guy that's there. They just need the back-end help 
to really get it going, fix the bullpen a little bit, get some better guys at the three and four starting position, and you built yourself a playoff team. You see, I'm sticking with the AL East. I'm going to go with the Toronto Blue Jays. This team just has too much invested to win now, so why not go and try to acquire some players that will turn everything around? You have Josh Donaldson, you have Jose Bautista, Justin Smilk, Russell Martin, Marcus Stroman, Aaron Sanchez. This team has so many players who could play well come playoff time. They just need a little bit more help. And granted, their farm system's not that great. Baseball's a... There's always a team willing to make a trade with you. And if the Blue Jays can find a proper proper seller, they can make a big move. And I think they can be a potential buyer. The thing about the Blue Jays for me, and it's kind of the same thing as the Tigers, they're aging. And they're aging bad. I mean, you look at it. Josh Donaldson's getting up there. Um, Tulowitzki is sort of on the back end of his career, in my opinion. I mean, Jose Batista just isn't the same. You know, these are guys. Justin Smoke somehow, though, is the is quite the opposite. You know, he's just turning into his 30s, and he figured it out last year somehow. And I don't understand it, but the rest of the team just up there and is aging, and it's going to come back to hurt them in the long season. I just feel like this team could really benefit themselves if they were to acquire let's say a hunter pence because he's another guy who not only can perform on the field when they're when he's playing for a winning team but he's also just a nice presence to have in your dugout it's good and obviously you do need those veterans and he will help but i just don't think that this is a team that's going to be able to turn it around and really take it deep i don't know but you know there are going to be sellers too we just talked about the buyers who we think is going to try and make that push who do we think has given up on the season, and who do we think is going to be traded? My surprise seller is someone who probably won't sell, but they should. It's the Seattle Mariners. Every year, this team's a tweener. They're never first, they're never last. That has to start changing, because in order to get to first, you need to be at the bottom and work your way up. If they were to sell their players, they can get a monster haul for a lot of them. Nelson Cruz has that power that a team could really use, like the Boston Red Sox. James Paxton has had a great year. He could definitely help out any starting rotation that's in contention. Robinson Cano is living up to his monster contract. Kyle Seager is having a down year, but maybe a change in scenery is what's good for him. He still has five years of control at a relatively decent price. He's never owed over $20 million in a year. And then you can also find a buyer for Felix Hernandez. He hasn't been good as of late, but when he has that competitive edge, which he does... He can shut down any team he wants. He's under team control through 2019, and I'm sure a team like the Dodgers or Diamondbacks would be willing to part ways with some good prospects for a once great pitcher who probably isn't that expensive on the market. You know, the Mariners definitely should be sellers. Like you said, they're never first, they're never last, but they need those guys to push them over the edge, but I don't think that this is the year. Build the farm system, rebuild, and really get your team up there and you know, another team that's sort of been going through that rebuild, but, you know, they were buyers the last couple of years, really trying to, you know, use their starting pitching to the max, the New York Mets, and I think this is time, start to sell. You have a couple of young guys that are still under control, you know, Michael Conforto, Nimmo, you have these guys who are good and young, but then you look at the rest of the team and it's a bunch of, you know, a little bit older guys. You look, Jay Bruce... Jose Reyes, Ioannis Cespedes, as Drupal Cabrera, like these are guys that are going to add no value in a couple of years, and unless you're winning for this year, 
start getting rid of some of them. Start getting rid of your team and building up again from the start. I mean, AJ Reed is your clo or excuse me, Addison Reed is your closer, and that's not a guy you want closing. You know, I think you go out if you're the Mets, sell the starting pitching, and I know that that sounds crazy, but start to sell it. You know, you have you have the pieces. You have Degrom. You have Wheeler, Matt. You know, even Lugo and Montero have been decent five pitchers this year, but the injuries are killing you. You know, you have Matt Harvey, who the past couple seasons can't seem to, you know, pitch more than two games in a row. You have Noah Syndergaard, who went on a 60-day DL this year and was having problems even before that. It's time you start looking at him. You trade away Matt Harvey. Try to get some uh, big value for it. And the hard thing is he doesn't have much value anymore because nobody wants to deal with Scott Boris. And nobody wants to deal with the Matt Harvey contract, but I think you go and you have to try and sell him. You can, you know, try and get rid of somebody, maybe like Wilmer Flores. He's able to play a bunch of positions, get rid of him. They bought Jay Bruce last year, flip him, turn him around, sell him. Yoannis Cespedes, he's a guy that you can keep on the team as a veteran, but overall the Mets have to get out there. They have to sell and start building for their future. It's just starting to hurt them at this point. You know, on this show, we like to attract every type of audience we can get. And the type of audience we haven't reached yet is the fantasy baseball audience. So I say we can talk a little bit about fantasy. What are your favorable matchups of the week? You know, it's we it's surprising. This is our first show. We recapped the first half, the All-Star game. And I believe that this guy's name was only thrown out there once. Aaron Judge, when I talked about the him versus Max Scherzer one. And it's hard not to be a fan of Judge. You know, the leader in home runs, he was up there for a while as a triple crown winner, or as the leader in the triple crown uh, categories, and I mean, you look at who he has to go up against this year, you know, the, or this week, the Minnesota Twins, not a dominant pitching staff, and then, like we just talked about, the Seattle Mariners, who may end up being sellers, may sell somebody like Felix Hernandez, and so, you know, it's hard not to like Aaron Judge this week against the Twins and the Mariners. I mean, those are just very favorable matchups for the big man. Um, as well, Jose Altuve, he's been amazing to start the season. And once again, he gets to face Seattle and he doesn't even have to go up against Felix Hernandez. And then he gets to take a shot at the Baltimore Orioles, horrific starting rotation who just, you know, I mean, you look at the last two days, they gave up 19 runs to the Cubs in only two days. It's awful. But the guy in the deeper league that you may not be looking at is Clint Frazier. He's been getting a ton of starts since coming up. Only a couple weeks ago, he's only not played in two games. He's averaging just about a hit per game at a .292 average, and he's got three homers in eight games. He averages an RBI per game as well. Like He's a guy that if you need some bat power and you need it in the deeper league, go out and get him. I know that the 10-day DL is going to hurt you the way it's been hurting me. Guys go on it every day, it seems. And so you go and you get these guys, it's going to be a great addition. On the pitching side, Eduardo Rodriguez, pitcher of the week. He gets to go up against the Blue Jays, who have been struggling all season. And then he gets a second one as well, up against the Angels. Obviously, the Angels are getting Mike Trout back. They have Yunel Escobar and Andrelton Simmons. But after that, it's a huge drop-off to even find the next decent player on the team. So I think you have to go out and you have to get Eduardo Rodriguez, if by chance he's available, and just ride him the entire week. The thing with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, though, that team is completely different with Mike Trout in the lineup. When Mike Trout is in that lineup, it helps out 
not only him, but Cole Calhoun and Albert Pujols. Because pitchers no longer have the option of pitching around those two players, knowing that Mike Trout's hitting the third spot. It should really help out Cole Calhoun. He should get a lot more hits. In fact, he's my DFS play of the week every single day. I love Cole Calhoun this week. He's a good player, but he's a little bit of a letdown. You know what you're getting, though. A very solid player who's going to be, you know, he's he's just decent. He's not a superstar. He's not over the top. He's a very good player, but I, and obviously Mike Trout being in the lineup will help all of them. But he remember, he was only out, you know, he wasn't out the whole season. And if you look before he was out, these guys weren't doing amazing. They weren't doing so much better. The Angels as a whole were, but the hitters are still about the same. My favorable matchup of the week, it's kind of biased. For those that don't know, I am a huge San Diego Padres fan, always have been. And this week, I love their hitting. They get to go to Coors for three games, and then also have a three-game series against none other than the San Francisco Giants, who we seem to be doing well against this year. I just think that Corey Spangenberg is going to be the play, is going to be the player to own from that team this week. He has the speed, and he can get on base. That's a good combo, especially in Coors Field. I love the Padres, and I, I like the, I like the Rockies too in that series. But overall, Padres are my team to go after. And my favorite two-start pitcher is probably Josh Tomlin, who you can get off waivers. He has a matchup against the San Francisco Giants on the road, but it's still the Giants. They're not that great. And then you get, as you said earlier, an inconsistent Blue Jays team in Cleveland. It's very favorable. I have to say, I had Tomlin early in the season. He's a strikeout guy, in my opinion. He wasn't living up to it, but this may be the week he turns things around. You know, it's it's only a one start, two starts that you need as a pitcher, and you can turn your whole season around. And being with Cleveland, in Cleveland, on Cleveland, I mean, their pitching staff is going to be the reason that they're carried through again in the playoffs. A couple series that I'm looking forward to this week are the Rangers against the Orioles. Lots of runs should be scored in this in these must-win games for both clubs. Both of these teams are on the verge of selling, on the verge of buying. We really don't know what they're going to do. So every win really counts for them. I'll tell you this, in that in that series, the you talked about both teams on the verge of being sellers. The Rangers are never sellers. It's the weirdest thing, but I've never seen them try and trade for a farm system. They buy every year hoping they're going to make it. And it just doesn't work for them. They get swept out in the first round every year. Rangers have to start their rebuild. That's a very good series to watch, though, because if the Orioles are able to take three games, it'll be what we were talking about earlier, and they're going to become buyers in that East. I also love the Cardinals and Cubs series. Both of these teams always play close baseball against each other, and the pitching matchups, they look fun to watch. The first game, you're going to have Carlos Martinez against Jake Arrieta. And then the next day, you get Alan Wainwright against Jose Quintana. And then you ended up with, hopefully, an, an offensive barrage where it's going to be Michael Walker against John Lackey. You know, I have that series in mind as well. The Cubs and the Cardinals are going to be fantastic. It's one of the best rivalries in the league, probably behind the Yankees and the Red Sox, and then right up there with the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants. I mean... Are, it's one of the best series, and it's going to be amazing. You already talked about the pitching matchups. Ace versus ace that first day, pretty much, in Carlos Martinez and Jake Arrieta. And then Wainwright has had a rebound season since the injury, and Jose Quintana recently acquired. Uh, talked about it earlier. He's going to get the start today in Baltimore. Hopefully pr- pitch pretty well, and 
you know, show what he was able to do last season with a couple more uh, people and some better run support than what he had in uh, on the south side of the Chicago. Another matchup that I have, though, Toronto and Boston on Thursday night will be good. It's going to be Chris Sale, who's going to be going up against Josh Donaldson and co. for the Blue Jays. As well, that same exact day, you're going to see Michael Fultinowich go up against Brandon McCarthy in L.A. Fultinowich, you know, a rookie couple seasons ago, everybody talked about him. He was going to be good. He was going to come back and, you know, have an outstanding season. And he's doing it. He's having a very good season. Brandon McCarthy obviously having an outstanding one of his own. And it's just going to be a really good matchup to watch. And then, you know, not a matchup for me, but something that I'm going to keep my eye on, and I'm sure that you will as well. It's going under the radar a little bit, but Adrian Beltre, only 20 hits away from 3,000 throughout his whole career. And, you know, it's kind of sad to think about how people see 3,000 hits as not really an accomplishment anymore. You know, there's no press on it. There's no publicity. He's only 20 away. You know, and we talked about it, Albert Pujols under 100 is way, away as well. He's probably not going to get it this year, but Adrian Beltre, an outside shot of getting it this week, probably not going to happen. Assume in the next two weeks that Beltre will have it, and I know that I'm going to be keeping a watch on it, and I'm sure that you will be too. You know, Adrian Beltre hasn't been talked a lot, talked about a lot, because he's seemingly hurt a lot. This, no, hold on. You know, Adrian Beltre hasn't been talked much on the show yet, but... He's having a good season when he plays. He's only had 134 at-bats, but he's hitting 284. He has 8 home runs, 30 RBIs. And if you were to translate that into 500 at-bats, that's 150 RBIs. He's having a good season, just not being talked about because he's been hurt. His on-base percentage is nearing 400. His OPS is over 900. Adrian Beltre, he's a fantastic player even at an old age. It's, It's so fun to watch. And you know what? He loves the game. Obviously, we all know that little, uh, the relationship that he has with Elvis Andrews over at Shortstop. If you don't go and just search the two and you'll find, you know, on YouTube, a bunch of videos of the two just being probably the two best friends in the entire league. But, you know, he loves the game. You look at it. He's such a fun player to watch running around the field, playing games, you know, cracking jokes throughout the game. And, you know, I think the best thing to watch from him his one need home runs. He starts to swing, drops down to a knee, and finishes it off. And for me, that's one of the greatest things that I get to see. So that does it for our show today. Again, I'm Brandon Gilden, along with Cody Lefkowitz. We hope that you guys enjoyed it. This is going to be an every Sunday thing. Tell your friends about it. Tell your family. This is the show to listen to if you love baseball. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next week.